Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Have you ever found yourself being accused of something that was totally false? It's not a fun spot to be in if you've ever been there before. Uh, maybe in junior high, you're accused of liking somebody. And even if you did like that person, if you were anything like me, you probably denied it with every fiber of your being. Um, never could I like someone and let somebody think that I like somebody. I'm like, how embarrassing would that be? That's the way I used to think. Or maybe your parents accused you of doing something that you know your brother or your sister did it. Um, you know full well that you went and threw that sibling under the bus. You weren't, you weren't going to take one for the team on behalf of your sibling. Like, that's just no way that's going to happen. You were going to defend yourself to the max. Well, when I was about probably eight or nine years old, our family was at my grandpa and grandma's house in a suburb of Minneapolis. And our cousin Jason, who was like four years older than me, he'd always come and hang out with us when we were there. And during one of these trips to the cities, there seemingly magically formed this little hole in the wall of my grandma's hallway. And it was just above the baseboard, uh, right directly below the second story laundry chute door. Uh And to this day, I don't know how it got there, uh, but uh, my safe money bet would probably go on my cousin Jason, but I I really don't know. Uh, But my grandma, man, she was kind of crazy in in like the most awesome ways. She decided that she was going to get to the bottom of this utter catastrophe. So she sits Jason and me and my older sister Nikki down in her bedroom and she starts grilling us. And no lie, I, I, I think we were in that room for a couple hours at least. Um, you know, it's probably one of those things where I'm sure it was only 10 or 20 minutes, but in my brain I remember it like we were in there for a few hours. And she used every tactic in the book that I think she had discovered like on every cop show that she'd ever watched. Like she was playing the good cop, she was playing the bad cop. She tried to get us to rat each other out. She tried to guilt us into a confession. It was so bad that even if we had given a confession, it would have been thrown out by any respectable judge in a real court of law. Like we had no defense. Uh, Finally, I blurted out almost in tears. I'm like, Grandma, I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't make the hole in the wall, but if I did, I'm really sorry. And right away, Jason, as guilty as he possibly could sound, was like, yeah, me too, Grandma. I I just know it was him. Like, dude is too guilty. Well, finally, Grandma, she lets us out of this interrogation room, called her bedroom, and we were free to go. But imagine if I had taken a different line of defense. What if I went into the the history of how that wall had been put together? And what if I talked about the structure of the house as a whole and every issue that had ever gone on with that house over the years, and then I explained how each time everything got fixed— Kind of in a way to show her that, yes, it's a little hole in your wall, but it too will be fixed, Grandma. That would have been an odd defense, I'm sure. But in part, it would have actually been kind of a brilliant defense, too. Grandma, she wasn't seeing the big picture. Um, That, yeah, this is just one little hole, but it's a hole that has a really easy remedy to fix it. And there's a guy in the book of Acts that he faces an accusation. It's a serious accusation. It's an accusation that in the Jewish community actually faces a a sentence of death. And he takes a really unusual defense. It's a defense where he didn't really seem to focus on the accusation that was against him. He went back hundreds and hundreds of years and he told a bigger story. 
He tried to paint a bigger picture than just standing up for himself. And this morning we're starting this new series in the book of Acts. And we're going to be going and looking at a number of different stories in this book. And really what we're going to do is we're going to kind of use it as a study on purpose. The people in the book of Acts, they lived with such amazing purpose. Uh, They started the church that has now lived through 2,000 years all the way up to today. Um, We're a product of that. In today's story from Acts 7, we're going to see the importance of knowing our history from this man named Stephen. He's going to show us that there is a history beyond our own personal history that we really have to have a deeper level understanding of. And so this story of Stephen, it starts back in the, really in the second part of Acts chapter 6. Uh, Stephen is, is this man called, he, he, he's a man full of God's grace and power is what the Bible says. And he's said to have been performing great signs and wonders among the people, something that was also said about Jesus. And opposition arose against him and the people were provoked into telling lies about Stephen. Things like accusing him of blasphemy against God and against the prophet Moses. They accused him of saying that Jesus would destroy their religion and their customs. Again, this was a serious accusation that they were putting on Stephen. But here's the crazy thing. There's actually some truth in the accusation, isn't there? Jesus was going to mess up their religion. Jesus wasn't about the religious activities that these people loved to engage in, that gave them all these good feelings about being right. You see, their rightness or their righteousness was found in doing their religion the right way. And Jesus meant to come and blow that up completely. Their rightness or their righteousness was about to be found in Jesus alone. And so, yeah, Stephen was getting ready to mess things up for these people. And so Stephen's defense, it kind of looks crazy. They say, Stephen, you're committing blasphemy. And he's like, hey, let me tell you a little story. And here's how it goes at the beginning of Acts chapter 7. And it's a long chapter. We're not going to read through it all. Uh, We're just going to kind of hit on some of the highlights today. And so starting in verses 1 and 2, it says, The high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? And to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. now, that sounds like kind of a weird way to start it. When he says, brothers and fathers, listen to me, I'm expecting him to follow it with like, man, you all crazy fools. I ain't done nothing wrong. But instead, he starts talking about this guy named Abraham. He starts talking about the God of glory. All right, bro. I'll see where this goes. Because right now, I have no clue where you're going with this. In verse 5, he says that Abraham had nothing, no children, no land, nothing, but God gave him a promise. It was a promise for a future home. But in the very next verse, he tells them that this promise wasn't going to happen for 400 years. Stephen says to the crowd in verse 6, God spoke to Abraham in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. Abraham was given a promise by God, but then God told him that the promise was something that he was never going to fully see fulfilled. He was told that his family would suffer for 400 years. Now, why in the world is Stephen making this his defense? Stephen is, I think, setting up his audience for something. And that's the cool thing about Stephen in in this passage. Stephen looks at his audience not as an audience 
that that he he feels like oh this these are my possible executioners he sees his audience as people that he's supposed to teach something to and what is it that he's supposed to teach them he's setting them up to see this that with god things aren't always how they look or how they feel in the moment if you want to live with your life with purpose that's going to have to be an important thing that you figure out uh, it's it's also an important part of his defense he's saying you think that uh, i'm speaking ill against our jewish religion what you don't see is that god has a bigger plan for your spiritual life than what you've ever dreamed in this jewish religion uh, you you think that you're doing that what you're doing is making you right with god but god has a better plan in store for you see a life of real purpose has to understand that how things look to us and how things feel it's not always true let me ask you this do you ever have a bad day and feel like you're an absolute failure during covid have you ever thought that the world should just explode because it kind of just sucks too much please hear this you will not live a life of true purpose if you're unwilling to see how god is working at a deeper level in your world now, on the surface level when you're when you're living on planet earth everything a lot of the times it's going to look like a chaotic mess we get that faith is hard to hold on to but god is working at a deeper level than than what just is eye level he's working at a heart level and that's why stephen brings up abraham he's setting up a bigger story for his audience than just the story about his life stephen's life it's actually a defense against their accusation but stephen is going to keep on going and this is like a rapid fire thing that he's just kind of coming at his accusers with in verse 9 he starts talking about joseph who is actually the great grandson of abraham and he says that the jealousy of joseph's brothers drove joseph into slavery but then he says that even then god was with him verse 9 he says because the patriarchs were jealous of joseph they sold him as a slave into egypt but god was with him and then in verse 18 the story goes on that joseph eventually became great in fact he became second in command to Pharaoh, who was like the king of this foreign land, Egypt. But a long while after that, this new Pharaoh came into power, uh, to whom Joseph meant nothing. Joseph was long gone. And at this point, his whole family, Joseph's family, they had been put into the binds of slavery. And so again, Stephen is writing on this underlying theme. With God, things aren't always how they look or how they feel in the moment. The Israelites were in slavery, but there was a point to it all. There was a purpose in this whole storyline that was taking place. There's a purpose in your story too. Everything that you're going through, no matter how messed up it might seem like it is right now, there's a purpose to it. And that's why Paul can say in Romans 8:28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I think that Stephen had a great understanding that his story in life it wasn't his story it was god's story uh, when he's accused of this thing that actually could bring about his death he didn't feel the need to point to his life what he did is he pointed to the workings of god god was working everything in history and in stephen's life he was working things to this ultimate purpose and that purpose was a good purpose now, don't you think that things looked and felt at least a little bleak to stephen in this moment of his life of course they did stuff was looking bad but but i want you to get this stephen found a way to tie his story 
to the ultimate story of God's redemptive work in the world. Now, that's not always an easy thing for us to do, is it? Something as simple as waking up in the morning and just not feeling like there's any joy in life. That's not an easy feeling. It's a hard feeling to shake. So last Sunday, I came to church and we had a great morning in church. Um, I went home, had my family around me. Everything should have been, should have been good, should have felt good. Uh, but you know what? I was feeling quarantined that day. Um, I don't know what it was. Um, I don't know if anybody else has kind of felt like that where it's like, man, I just want to do something enjoyable today. I wanted to have something good in that moment that just felt different than every other day at home had been feeling lately. And that feeling ties us into God's redemptive work if you choose to see it that way. Uh, see, we weren't, we weren't just made to exist. When it feels like all we're doing is existing, <clears throat> there's a yearning for something more. God has a greater purpose for us than that. And in that moment, he means to bring life to us in some new and glorious way. Uh, that feeling that we sometimes can't shake is God's way of trying to breathe new life into us, to, trying to redeem us in some way. And honestly, for me, it was as simple as just getting out of the house, getting on my bike, and enjoying something that God has built me to enjoy. I had to tie my story to God's redemptive work. He didn't create me without a purpose. He had a purpose for me, and I'll most often experience joy when I'm living out that purpose. And sometimes that purpose is to simply enjoy Him in a way that actually brings me life. You know, Stephen continues to tie his predicament, his story, to the overall act of God's redeeming love. Uh, the redeeming story of God continues after Joseph, 400 years later in the life of Moses. You see, just as God had told Abraham that his people were going to be enslaved for 400 years, they were. But then while the Israelite boys were being slaughtered, uh, one mother puts her baby in a basket in the water and, and Pharaoh's daughter has mercy on that child. And Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. He's educated. He's powerful in speech and action. But one day he messes up and he kills an Egyptian who's abusing one of his fellow Israelites. And he runs off into the desert. And then 40 years later, God visits him in a burning bush. And Stephen tells the people that God told Moses, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people. God was sending Moses back to Egypt to free his people. And this is where I want to pick up the story that Stephen's telling his accusers. Acts 7 verse 35 to 40 says, This is the same Moses that they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for the 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He, will, he was in the wilderness. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And this is the part of Stephen's story where, to be honest, he's getting super gutsy with his, with his accusers. In this story, he's showing his accusers that you are, you are these people. You are like those Israelites back then. He's equating their refusal of Jesus with the past Israelites' refusal of Moses. Time and time again throughout history, Israel had refused God's redemptive acts in their lives. And here they are, they're doing it all over again with Jesus. 
Stephen's bringing up this important uh, idea that they need to capture and that we need to capture in our lives. We repeat the folly of our past if we don't know our past and if we don't learn from our past. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs puts it this way. It's Proverbs 26, 11. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Now, speaking of dogs, some of you might think I'm the devil for saying this, but I'm not a huge dog person. Um, frankly, I'm not, a, I'm not a pet person. I don't like when dogs come and they rub their nose up against my, my leg or they start licking my leg and all that kind of stuff. I don't like it. Um, but my wife, she just recently, she talked me into letting my girls get um, a little tiny bunny that we'll keep outside. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm super iffy about this, people. Like, really iffy. But so back to dogs. I like to play this game, and you're going to think I'm an awful human, but I like to play this, this game. It's the fake, throw a fake ball out into the yard to see if the dog will run after it game. And I'm a horrible person. But you know what? They run after that fake ball. You throw the fake ball, do this, and they run after it. And they'll do it over and over and over and over again. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I like to play this trick with little toddlers, too. It's horrible. I'm an awful human being. I get it. Uh, but the way that a dog or a toddler gets faked out and keeps going after that fake ball, it's like most of us, how we are with our destructive habits. We don't learn. We continually shoot ourselves in the foot because we don't recognize the follies of our lives. And we do nothing to put a plan in place of how to let God's redemptive nature draw us away from those follies of our lives. God has the power and the will to keep us from going back to our vomit. But like Israel, we just run after our own little gods and we keep on doing all these things in ignorance. We're ignorant of God's presence in our lives. Living with purpose requires us to hold on to God in the moments where he seems quiet. It goes back to that idea that with God, things aren't always the way they look or they feel. Keep reminding yourself of that and let the Holy Spirit draw you back to God in the moments where he seems distant. Now, up to this point, I think Stephen's really just kind of been hinting at everything. He hasn't really dug into his accusers completely, but it's in this last passage I'm going to read where he just digs in. It's Acts 7, 51 through 53. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Now tell me, does it seem like Stephen has a death wish here? Um, I remember when Crystal and me, we were going through premarital counseling, um, and I remember that uh, we were advised to, to not do pretty much two things in an argument. Number one, don't use you statements. Number two, don't use always or never statements in regards to the thing that the other person does. So you should say things like, you know, I feel like sometimes you don't care about my feelings when I'm wanting to watch a football game instead of going to your parents' house to play Scrabble. That might go over a lot better than saying, you always make me do stupid things like go play Scrabble with your parents when I just want to watch the Vikings. Now you say it that way and you're probably going to have to go play Scrabble or you're going to have to find a new house to live in, one way or the other. Uh, but Stephen though, it's like he comes right out and he says exactly what he means to say. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Israelites did that. You and I do that. We resist the Holy Spirit on a daily basis 
because of one thing, our sin nature. Unless we turn our hearts to God, we will naturally resist the Holy Spirit. If you want to live a life of real purpose, recognize your natural resistance to God's direction and find ways to actively and deliberately turn your heart back to God. So many times I can remember as a young person, I would I'd go to bed at night and I'd be like, man, I'm going I'm to be perfect tomorrow. I'm going to live totally perfectly. I'm not going to make one mistake, not one sin. And then I'd, I'd wake up after hitting the snooze button like seven times and I'd yell at my sister for looking at me wrong while I walked past her in the hall. And I didn't care at that point that I had failed miserably at my plan to be perfect that day. Bottom line, we naturally resist God's direction. We resist the Holy Spirit. We can and we need plans that can help us combat this resistance to God. Put prayer into your daily routine. Put Bible reading into your daily routine. Exercise. Spend time with good friends. Quiet moments away from all the crazy people in your life. Whatever you need. But remember this too. Stephen, and I think Stephen's Bible history kind of makes this clear for us. Remember that as you actively turn from God, God is all the more running after you. Look at all the ways that God shows us in this story from Stephen how God runs after us. First, you've got the story of Abraham. And Abraham saves, God saves Abraham's son from death. There's a, there's a story of redemption there. Look at the life of Joseph. God saves his family when it seemed like all this pure evil was done to them for no reason. And they're saved. And look at Moses. Uh, he saves the people out of Israel. It's a story of redemption. Uh, we don't need to just learn from our own past. We need to learn from God's faithfulness. And that's what Stephen's story in this Acts chapter 7 shows us. It shows us God's faithfulness. But if you don't know your history lessons about God's faithfulness, how can you learn? So that's actually, I want to I encourage you, this Bible, it's called the Story Bible. I want to encourage you, if you've never read through the Bible before, pick up this Bible. Uh, uh, the way I put it, and this might sound bad, but it, it takes out some of the stuff in Scripture that's really hard to get through the first time you've ever read it. And so if you look in it, all, all the writing in it that isn't, is not italics, that's actually Scripture. That's the Bible. And then if you see where there's italics, that's where they're breaking up the story and they're kind of explaining what you've missed. And then they're getting to the next part of the Bible. And it's a great way to understand the whole thing of the story of the Bible in a way that it, it reads like a novel and it's just super easy to hear. Like we need to know God's word. We need to know what he's saying to us if we're going to be able to live out the life of purpose that he's calling us to live. We've got to be able to read scripture. We've got to know scripture like Stephen did. So today maybe you just need to remember some of the lessons from Stephen's story. Maybe you're really struggling today and you need to be reminded that with God, things aren't always how they look or how they feel. There's a bigger purpose. Uh, maybe you need to tie your story to the redemption story of God. That Maybe you're feeling defeated. God wants to redeem you in every way. Uh, maybe you keep returning to your mistakes. Maybe you're resisting God at every turn. I want to remind you that God is still running after you. He's offering redemption through Jesus. Just like, just like Stephen offered to the Israelites on the day that they took his life. Maybe you need to experience God's redeeming nature today. Why don't we pray together and let's just ask him for that gift, that gift of redemption in our lives. Jesus, I thank you so much for, I thank you for the story of Stephen and the, the courage that he showed in not defending himself, but in proclaiming the, the good news about Jesus. 
Lord, sometimes we, more than anything else, we need the good news of Jesus poured into our heart over again. God, some of us need redemption. Uh, maybe we've been saved. Maybe, maybe we've trusted you with, with our sin and we know that you've saved us. But beyond that, maybe there's a redemption that needs to still take place, that we're feeling uh, defeated. God, you are the God of victory. And through Jesus, we have victory in you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to experience victory in, in a new and unique way today. God, help us to remember your story so that your story can speak into the everyday moments of our lives and that you can bring victory into the everyday moments of our lives. Lord, some of us really need that today. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.